Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right, so if you could uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the first letter or the first epistle of John, chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 7. We're going to read a little bit. And it says this, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. For this is the love of God that was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love... Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. (laughs) Beloved, if God so loved us, I saw that word coming. I'm like, oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. It's coming. I'm just going to butcher it. (laughs) Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and we've testified that Father sent the Son to the world to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Verse 16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. We have come to know and believed the love that God has for us. Now, I've been thinking a lot about love lately. Love is probably one of the most misunderstood and misconstrued commodities in all humankind. We're living in a day where love is probably the most confused topic ever. And it has many forms and it has many facets. So, for example, Hebrews tells us that God chastises or God disciplines those he loves. And so God views discipline as love. But try preaching that message in the 21st century that views correction as hate. Right? I can't say anything to you because all of a sudden you hate me because I can't correct you. I can't discipline you because, oh my God, you're rejecting me and I can't receive that rejection. And so it's very hard sometimes to teach on love and to explain love and to articulate God's love in all of its facets and forms because it's been so misconstrued and confused. Are you with me? Isn't it ironic that in the 21st century, discipline is seen as hate and not love? And so it's challenging to express this love because it's been so confused. For example... If I were to say the expression, love wins, that could mean totally different things depending on who's listening to it and who's saying it. Right? Love wins to me means something totally different than it might mean to somebody else. So who's true, me or them? Who's right, me or them? If if there is absolute truth and if love is one thing specifically, then if I say love wins, what am I talking about and what are you talking about? Are you with me? So love has many counterfeits. It's been watered down, diluted. So, for example, I can say I love Chick-fil-A and pumpkin spice lattes. 
but then in the same breath tell you that I love you. You're not going to be feeling real good about yourself, right? You are waffle fries. You are waffle fries. You are waffle fries, right? Because I'm using the word love to explain, to explain both. Excuse me. To explain both. Right? So we have misused the expression, I love you, and it's lost its power. And here's the problem with that is because I could sit here up here with a mic and say to you, God loves you, and you can be like, eh, big deal. I love lattes. And so the power of the words, when I say, for God so loved the world, eh, I love pancakes with syrup and bacon and some orange juice, freshly squeezed. And so love is confused. It's been watered down. It's diluted. It's losing its power because we have become familiar with the expression love. We have not become familiar with real love. Real love actually is a pretty rare commodity in the 21st century. We have come used to or we have gotten comfortable with or familiar with the expression, I love you. I love you. I love you, bro. I love you, Pastor Steve. I love you, what? Baby, I love you. <laughs> I really, I really do. But then how does she know that I love her more than I love Pastor Steve? I better, or else I'll be going to Brad and, 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 and Laura's uh, a group on marriage. Amen. All right. So love has been defined as a feeling, as a tolerance, as a sexual preference, as sexual desire all of which fall epically short of really articulating what love really is, right? And so love is reduced to something that you experience in moments rather than something that you have all the time. I got to find love. I got to get love. I need to make love. I need to do all kinds of things with love. We need to experience love, but love, real love, the love that's unconditional from the Father has been given to us and it never leaves, and so I can't, I can't conflate or I can't confuse the love that the world has to offer, which is momentary, which is cheap, which is, which is a, 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 pure, a, a poor substitute for the love that the Father gives, which is constant, which is unmovable, which is not shaking. Love that stands the test of time. We have to understand what real love is. And if we don't understand what real love is, we will give ourselves away to a cheap substitute. Are you with me? I told you I had a word for you. This type of love, this worldly love, ultimately, it leaves you empty, vulnerable, addicted, hurt, thirsty for something more. This type of love, sometimes the watered-down, earthly love, it's, it, it doesn't fill any void. It's experiential. It's cheap. It leaves you thirsting for something more. Now, the Bible puts forth four types of love. Psychology puts forth like seven types of love, but some of their love actually contradicts the Scripture. So I'm just going to stick with what the Scripture talks about because that's all I know, right? So, so first there's, there's compassion or the empathy bond of love. So love that's shown in an act of compassion. And then there's brotherly love or philia. I, I, I don't know. I'm not good with words. Philia, philio. You know, the Philadelphia city of brotherly love comes from that word, the Greek word. It's brotherly love, love that I have for my brother. My brother, right? Love that I have for him. And then, and then there's, there's eros, which is romantic love, which is the love that I have for my wife among many others, right? It's romantic love. And then there's agape, 
which is unconditional love. Agape is the Father. I like to call it the Father's love. This is a love that is unbelievable, unbreaking, never changing. This is the love that you were born from, right? This is the love that you were born from. You're like, why are you talking about love when we're in a series about identification? Well, because love is the fabric of our identity. We cannot talk about identity without talking about the fact that we are madly, deeply loved by our Father. You will never function outside of your identity if you don't know how much you are loved. You'll never know who you are unless you know who he is and how much he loves you. And so we cannot separate identity from love. Identity from love. If you separate identity from love, you'll always be looking for love in all the wrong places. The fact is that we've been born from love. We were born from love. We were made to love and to love others. Love is the commodity that keeps this world together. It's the love that flows from the Father. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. He is love. So no one knows how to do it better than him. Are you with me? When love is missing, life is pointless. When love is missing, life is pointless. It says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's a love chapter. It says that, hey, you can know everything. You can have all the spiritual giftings. You can have all understanding. You can, you can understand all mysteries. You could be the most sacrificial person on the planet. But if you don't have love, it's worthless. It's worthless, right? The love that's being referred to in that chapter is agape love, God's love. It's the love that we are born from. For God so loved the world that he gave. By the way, newsflash, loving often looks like giving, not receiving. I just want to receive love. I just want to receive. Loving often looks like giving, not receiving, right? Agape love, the Father's love, is unconditional. It's not based on merit. It's not based on performance. It's not based on looks. It's not based on talent. It's just there. It's unmovable. It exists whether we fail or whether we succeed, whether we do right or whether we do wrong. The Father's love remains. It's perfect. The Father's love is perfect in that when you receive it, you no longer feel empty. You no longer feel like you need to earn anything from anybody. You no longer feel like you need to fit in or be validated by someone else's approval of you because you've been, you've been marked by the approval of God. The Father's love is perfect. This love heals you. It frees you. It picks you up the moment you fall. It forgives you the moment you sin. This love is for you. It's constant. It's always available. It runs to you when everyone else runs away from you. It takes you in when everyone else kicks you out. This love is patient. It's kind. It's corrective. It's long-suffering. It's not jealous. It speaks life over you when everyone else speaks death over you. This is the love that changes the world. This is the love that we were born from. This is the love that's available for you. It's, it's for you. It's open. It's here. God is saying, this glove is for you. I'm kind. I'm gentle. I am long-suffering. I'm patient. I am for you, not against you. This is the love. There is nothing like it on the planet because this love is actually God. Are you with me? God is love. Right? God is love. It's the love that the woman at the well in John chapter 4 was looking for. When Jesus came to the woman at the well, and he, called, he goes, go call your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with right now is not your husband. And she said, whoa, who is this guy? 
And she had an interaction with Jesus that changed her life forever. Then she ran to a town. She goes, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. He didn't tell her everything that she ever did. But what happened was that her identity met his love and she was changed forever. And she felt like she was known. I'm known. I'm known. I met real love. I met real love. This is the love that God has for us. Right? This is the love that God has for you. This is the love that the enemy wants to keep you from. The enemy wants you to chase after counterfeit love so you never get whole in his love. Are you with me? And this is what it says in, in, in John chapter 4, verse 16. says, we have come to know and believed the love that God has for us. You know, the Apostle John is revealing something very interesting here. His, in, in that his revelation of God's love for him came through a process. Now, let's talk about the Apostle John for a second. This is the Apostle John. He wrote five books of the Bible. He walked with Jesus. This is the Apostle John. And he's saying, in fact, he described himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So he knew that Jesus loved him, but there was something in his experience walk with God that he had to come to know the love of God for him, right? He knew it here, but he had to know it here. He had to know it here. And his journey with God brought him to this place of having this deep, life-giving understanding of how deeply God loved him. This understanding, this place that he got to, it brought him life. It gave him purpose. It gave him, it gave him clarity. It gave him, most of all, a deep contentment in who he was and who he was to God. But it didn't all come at once. It came through a process. We have, we have come to know and believed the love that God has for us. And just like we do, we have to learn how much God loves us even in times where it doesn't make sense. Like, we have to learn the love of God in seasons of disappointment. We have to learn the love of God in seasons where the world rejects us. We have to learn the love of God in seasons where things don't work out in our favor. We have to learn the love of God when life brings tragedy, uh, tragedy and maybe we're not able to reconcile our circumstances with the phrase, God loves you. Are you with me? I mean, am I just preaching to myself? Is there anyone who, who, who any time in their life has doubted the love of God in their life? Tragedy comes, heartache comes, or we see tragedy happening around us, and we say, how could there be a God that loves people when this is happening or when that is happening? And we have a hard time reconciling the love of God with the experience of life, right? But the truth is, and the amazing thing is that John wrote the book of Revelation, which is probably the most prophetic and powerful book in the Bible, and he wrote it while he was exiled by himself alone in confinement. And so somehow he was able to connect with the love of God and pen one of the most amazing pieces of, of literature directed from the Holy Spirit while he was in probably the most trying time of his life. And we see that all throughout Scripture, even with the Apostle Paul writing epistles when he's in prison, is that, is that your love is tested in seasons of disappointment. Right? Your belief in God's love for you is tested when things don't work out for you. Right? You will never know true love and know who you are outside the love of God. Which brings me to my next point. It says we have come to know and have believed. 
the love that God has for us. See, John is giving us another key here to growing in our love with God. And let me just give you, I'll just give you a spoiler alert here. Growing in the love of God is also growing in your identity. The two are the same. Are you with me? And so John, he, John is giving us another key. He's saying at some point, at some point in our journey with God, we've had to enter into a believing relationship with God. It's one thing to go to church, lift your hands, and worship. It's another thing to actually believe the words of the, uh, that are on the page and live them out in your everyday life. Right? At some point, if I believe God is who he says he is, if I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that should reflect in my everyday decisions. Right? If I really believe that I'm a child of God, then I will live like, I will live like a child of God, right? Not like an orphan. And so there's our, our decisions sometimes reveal us to us. Are you with me? Believing bridges the gap between what is known and what is desired. Believing is the ladder that connects heaven to earth. Believing is what leads you to step out of your comfort, out of the norm, and attempt something new and possibly frightening. Believing is what allows you to reconcile the difficulties and the storms of life that we all go through and press forward in hope, not in despair. Believing is the fuel to change your decisions, which in turn will change your life. And I've noticed that God, whenever you want to grow in God, God will always put something in front of you that you have to believe him for. Right? God will always put something in front of you that you can't do by yourself. If you want to live this life in God apart from faith and believing, it's not possible. I'm sorry, it does not exist. God will put something in front of you and say, build it. I don't know how to build it. Build it. Go there. I don't know how to get there. Just walk. Do this. I don't know how to do this. Just do it. Right? And God will always put something in front of you that is beyond you so that you can trust him and you get closer to him because believing brings you closer to God. Are you with me? Believing brings you closer to God. I can't believe that I've never spoken in front of public. I can't do this. I can't do this. Believing brings you closer to God. I can't believe this job is too hard for me. It's too much for me. I can't do it. Believing brings you closer to God. I can't believe how, what she's doing. She's never going to come to God. I can't believe she's going through the divorce. I can't believe that she's addicted to drugs. I can't believe that all this is happening. Believe you. Believing brings you closer to God. My marriage is never going to rebound. My marriage is never going to make it. My marriage is never going to get through this storm. Believing brings you closer to God. Believing is the currency of heaven. We have come to know and believed the love that God has for us. At some point, at some point, we have to marry, we have to marry what God says with our belief. Are you with me? Are you with me? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It says in Hebrews, what's the hope? The hope is that God loves us. That God loves us. Are you with me? Now, sustained believing is a fundamental issue for many of us. We believe in moments. We have moments of faith, but we struggle living a lifestyle of faith. A lifestyle of faith, right? Why is this? Well, I believe that we've been discipled by our circumstances and by the culture. Let me, let me help you. Everybody is a disciple, even atheists. Something is discipling you. It's just a matter of who or what. Some of us are being discipled by our past. Some of us are being discipled by false religion. 
Some of us are being discipled by vain pursuits. Some of us are being discipled by things that are not born in heaven. And some of us are being discipled by the word of God and by, and by God himself. You are all being discipled. The question is, who's discipling you, right? Come to know. We have come to know. It, you know, coming to know God's love is a process. And I found this, right? I found this. And you can write this down, that love always has evidence, Love always has evidence, right? So it's my contention that in everybody's life, that if you look at your life, you will see the providential love of God showing up at somewhere in your life. Whether you're saved and you've been saved for 20, 30 years, or you're not saved and you don't even know what this whole thing is about, if you look back over the course of your life, you will see the providential hand of God at some point in your life. You will see evidence that he loved you, that great aunt or that family friend who always encouraged you, always brought you to church, or always said they were praying for you, right? Or the fact that you never got in trouble like the way you should have gotten in trouble, right? right? You know, or, or you got out of something that you shouldn't have been in, right? Are you with me? Like you see the providential hand of God. You might be saying, well, hey, you know, uh, I've got evidence that God doesn't love me. And, I, and certainly any amount of this life lived in your own strength, full of broken people, hurt people, hurting other people, it's very easy at times to draw that conclusion. Like you can look at the events of your life and not be able to reconcile them with God's love. Or you may be going, something through, going through something terrible right now in this but I bet that if you take some time and you reflect and look at your life objectively, you will see the providential love and hand of God in your life. Right? And so, so surely there is evidence, right? You'll see invitations that he extended to you when you didn't deserve an invitation or invitations that you refused because you just were too busy or you weren't ready, right? But you'll see the hand of God in your life, whether you have a relationship with God or not. Sure, the devil tried to destroy you. Sure, people have tried to hurt you, but God has always been there, and he's always there, arms extended, waiting to heal you, waiting to restore you, waiting to touch you, waiting to walk with you, because his love never fails. Are you with me? Are you with Love has evidence. That is a great relationship piece. Girls, if he says he loves you, there better be evidence. Are you with me? If he says he loves you, but makes you pay. If he says he loves you, but never sacrifices his comfort or his needs. If he says he loves you, but constantly and consistently puts you in unsafe situations. If he says he loves you, but only when he wants a certain something from you. If he says he loves you, but only, only when he wants something, I hate to break it to you, but there is no evidence to support his statement. Are you with me? I'm glad that you love me. Show me. Show me the money, baby. Right? <laughs> There's always evidence. There's always evidence. If he loves me, if she loves me, I knew my wife loved me. I'll tell you what, from the moment we were, anyone ever, ever see the Bronx Tale? Some of you need to watch it. I had to busted up cars and vehicles in my life. In fact, the first time I took my wife on a date, I was in my mom's car. <laughs> and I knew she loved me because when I opened the car door for her and she got in, she reached over to the driver's side and unlocked the door. I said, good Lord, I got to keep her. <laughs> yeah, she loves me. Because love has evidence. Love has evidence. 
Love has evidence. Look at your neighbor and say, love has evidence. Listen, anybody who's dating right now, love has evidence. If you're married right now and your spouse isn't treating you the way that you should be treated, just let them know. Love has evidence, right? Love has evidence. And then there's, and then there's the statement of love. There's the statement of love. So first there's the evidence of love, and then there's the statement of love. Notice that I put the statement after the evidence. There's nothing worse in life than empty words, right? Yo, you love me, brother? Okay, show me. Or, or I, I get all the time, I support you, man. I support you. Okay, how? <laughs> how are you supporting me? Right? There's nothing worse than empty words, right? Like, like God gave us evidence. For God so loved the world that he gave. I'm not just going to tell you I love you. I'm going to back it up with the most sacrificial gift ever ever known to mankind. In fact, it says in Romans 5, 8 that that we know God's love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get right. He just paid the price so that we can get to him, right? While we were yet sinners. You know that Jesus died for the people who crucified him? Yeah. He died for his very betrayers. Talk about love, right? The Bible is a love letter written to all mankind. It's a declaration of God's amazing plan to spend eternity with us. Statement after statement in his word affirms you in his love and as his child, and it provokes you to believe him. It provokes you to believe him. It's a historical fact that a man named Jesus was born, lived, performed miracles, died on a cross. It's a historical fact. If the Bible is nothing else, it is totally accurate prophetically and historically. Now, the, now it's up to us to actually believe that that man was who he says he was, was Jesus, the Son of God, and that he died for us, right? We have to bridge the statement and the evidence with our believing. We have to bridge the statement and the evidence with our believing, And whether you believe it or not, the cross stands as both evidence and a statement of his love for humanity, right? It says, greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. So, So, but we have come to know and have believed the love that God has for us. You see, what it comes down to is that we all have to make a decision in our life to receive and believe the love that's been given to us. Right, the adoption papers have been signed and turned in by Jesus. They've been signed in blood, right? Your adoption paperwork has been signed, sealed, delivered to God, but it's up to you to turn the paperwork in. It's up to you to believe and receive it. You know, Jesus would often say awesome things in the Bible. He would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As if to say, hey, this is the truth, take it or leave it. Like, you have the option to walk into this childlike faith relationship with me, but it's up to you. I've given you the statement. I've given you the evidence. Now it's your decision to believe. Now it's your decision to believe. Are you with me? Believing makes us a child of God. Believing makes us a child of God. It's, it's, it's up to each one of us to believe, right? There's so much of being a Christian that comes down to our decisions, right? We need to receive and believe. At some point, we must all believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that God is who he says he is, right? That we are surrendered to his lordship or that we're not. I've learned that you cannot be convinced into Christ. You must believe and receive Christ. 
You can't be convinced. Here's the thing about identity is that you will never know who you really are until you know who he really is to you. See, until you know who who he's created you to be, you will consistently try to change the outside of you, hoping that what you do on the inside will somehow make its way to the inside. Right? You will always, you will change your behavior. You will change your shoes. You will change your shirt. You will change things. But it will never work because God works from the inside out. He changes our heart and our mind, and then the body takes care of itself. Are you with me? Abide in me, and I will abide in you. You know, ministry is all about helping people see themselves through God's eyes. Everything that we do here as a church, from kids' ministry to small groups to, to, to worship to preaching to uh, outreach ministry to all the things that we do as a church, it's all about getting people, hoping people to see themselves the way that God sees them. Because if you could just believe, if you could just believe that you are a child of God, that you are an heir, that you have an inheritance in God, you will begin to walk and live a life of faith. You will begin to live a life that brings heaven to earth because you're walking in inheritance. If you could just see what God is and who you are in God, it will change your marriage. It will change your family. It will change your career. It will change the trajectory of your family. It will change your legacy if you could just receive who God is for you. For you, and so many of us, sometimes we have, we, we, we have these excuses as for, for, for why God isn't, isn't the same way for me as he is towards Pastor Pete. Well, that's Pastor Pete. You know, he's really good at preaching, so God must love him. Or that's Pastor G. He's really good. He's a great leader. He's a great pastor, so God must love him more than me. Right? Or that's Emily. That's Pastor Emily, and she's amazing, amazing. He gave her all those gifts to lead worship. I'm not like that. I'm not like that. And we, be, we begin to discredit ourselves based upon the outside, appear, outside appearance, appearance, and we never walk in our true identity of who uniquely we are in God. Like sometimes there's class systems that exist even in the body of Christ. And we look at people on a platform like they're a bigger social class than we are. There's no second-class citizens in the body of Christ. There's only sons and daughters. At, the day of, at, at that day of judgment, when we all stand before Jesus, I'll be kneeling next to you. All my titles will be behind me, and it'll just be me and you. There's no red carpet in heaven. There's no red carpet in heaven. There's no A-list in heaven. It's, it's whoever's on their knees is in, whoever's not is out. There's no, there's no red carpet. Are you with me? It's good news, right? Everything we do as a church is to get people to see, hear, and understand how much God loves them. That's the gospel, to provoke you to pursue a relationship with the author of your identity. He is the author of your identity. My, uh, my friend uh, uh, sent me a text this morning about fingerprints and how each one of us has a unique fingerprint, which is so unique to us. And, and he challenged me this morning. He goes, hey, how are you leaving your fingerprint on history? He goes, what impact is your fingerprint having on history. And he challenged me because we've been given a unique assignment and a unique call. There's something that I can do that no one else in this room can do. And it's up to me to find out and believe God for it and move for and move forward in it so that I can accomplish his will on the earth. Are you with me? How are you leaving your fingerprint on history? See, how do you know? And let me ask you this: how do you know you're believing? How do you know you've entered into this believing relationship with God? I'll tell you how. Your decisions change. Your decisions change. You become generous. You know, generosity is the offspring of right identity. Because if I know who I am and I know who, who, who he is to me, I know that everything I have is not mine anyway, so I freely I have received, freely I give. Right? You become generous. 
you don't react in fear. You know, fear is the most socially acceptable, justifiable sin. And, it, 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 and for many of us, we live in fear, and our decisions are made from a place of what can go wrong instead of what can go right. Right? And so we live our life in fear, and then we justify it as being safe or wise. Right? But no child of God who's been authored in heaven has a right to fear anything. In fact, it says that perfect love was what to fear. It casts out fear. So I know that I've been right in love if I have no fear. Right? Even fear needs to be submitted to the cross of Christ. You don't react in fear. You begin to forgive. Why? Because you realize how great his forgiveness is in your life. You, begin, you become humble. Why? Because who, I, who, who am I that God is mindful of me? What does a God so great and big owe me? Right? You start living a life marked by faith. Why? Because nothing is impossible to those who believe. And so God has given us this statement of love. He's given us this evidence of love. It's up for us to believe and receive our identity as a child of God and live that thing out. At some point, your believing has to come, has to get out of your mind and into your heart and, and, and affect your hands and your feet. Are you with me? At some point, If you truly know who you are in God, you will make decisions that are marked by faith and trust. You will reject fear in all its forms. You'll begin to trust God in your finances, in your business direction, and in your relationships. Listen, sometimes the most faith-filled thing you can do is stay single. Are you with me? Decisions reveal our beliefs. decisions reveal our beliefs. I can talk up a storm. I can tell you everything that God is going to do in my life, the prophetic words that God has spoken over me from since, since the, the moment I got saved. I can speak really grandiose things. But know what I've noticed is that a lot of times my feet get stuck in fear. And I feel really good telling you about all the things that God's going to do, but I have a hard time lifting up this foot in faith and believing that God is for me just like he is for somebody else. Because at some point, at some point, at some point, our belief in who God is has to make its way out of our mind into our heart and into our feet. I've noticed that the only way to overcome fear is to confront it face to face. Say, I am a child of God. Fear has no place. Fear has no place in me. I think it would be wise for all of us to take an inventory of our decisions. How are your decisions adding up? Take a look at some of the decisions that you've made over the past couple of years. Do they reflect someone who's moving and living like a child of God or someone who's moving in fear and self-preservation? Are you with me? We have come to know and believed the love that God has for us. Are you responding to life with love and faith, or are you reacting in fear and anger? Have your decisions led to success? And if not, are you willing to change? Are you with me? We have come to know and believed 
the love that God has for us. Come on, stand with me. We hope this message was impactful to you. If you would like to hear more, please remember to subscribe. For more information, you can visit our pages on both Facebook and Instagram. God bless you and have a great rest of the week.